Well, in this Easter tide, this seven weeks of Easter, we're turning to 1 Peter to explore the, the implications of the resurrection for our manner of living in the world. And the, the resurrection of Jesus, it sparked, it, it inaugurated a, a new creation and our citizenship in heaven. And until Jesus comes again, we have to deal with our citizenship. We have to deal with that heavenly citizenship while living here on earth. Because Jesus is alive, how then should we live? And, and the New Testament writers, they, they find it appropriate to remind us of our citizenship in heaven, but, but never do they assume that that, uh, or teach that that means that we just bide our time or, or grit our teeth and, and just wait it out. As we've already seen in, in Peter's letter here, the point isn't that we just get to go to heaven when we die. The point is that God's kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven, there, there's a, a, a glorious and mysterious overlap uh, that, that, that makes this time and this space holy. And, and so what we do with this time and in this space matters. Peter really leans into that here in the, in the heart of his letter. He urges us as sojourners and exiles to live accordingly, to live now accordingly, not only waiting to be perfected, but actively working. So let's read starting in verse 11 of chapter 2. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So because of everything he's said prior to this, because we are born again and and called to be holy, because we are chosen and have received his mercy, I urge you, he says, to live this way. And, And by calling us sojourners and exiles, Peter's again reminding us that this isn't our permanent home. As I was studying this, I, I liked the translation, resident aliens and visiting foreigners. I think that's helpful. See, back in Genesis 23, Abraham is asking the Hittites for a place to bury his wife, Sarah. And he tells them that he is a resident alien and visiting f- uh, foreigner. It, it's the same identification. So, so there's a call here to look back and to remember. Peter, Peter wanted his readers to, to reorient their self-understanding with respect to the society that they lived in. And, and so with this subtle uh, allusion back to Abraham, he reminds his readers that they stand in a long tradition of people who were chosen by God and, and called to be aliens and foreigners in the places where they lived. And understanding our status informs our actions. So as aliens and foreigners then, we, we actively work to abstain from the passions of the flesh which, which wage war against our souls. Verse 11, we, we must actively fight. And part of how we do that is that we act honorably 
in an unbelieving society. We, we do good so that, verse 12, when they, see, when they say evil things, not if, when they say evil things against us and call us evil, they'll see the good, honorable deeds and glorify God. It's a pretty good payoff. So we do good. Now, this is more than recycling and obeying the speed limit, right? Anybody can do that. That doesn't set us apart. So we need to ask and answer the question, what is distinctly Christian about how I operate in the world? How do we as aliens and foreigners act as citizens of heaven, bringing glory to God here on earth? Well, lucky for us, Peter keeps writing. So let's read verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So, so this is how we act honorably, bringing glory to God as citizens of heaven in an unbelieving world. We submit. And, and I, I know that's a hot word. I know, I know that a lot of us don't like it, but, but stick with me. We submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution. We submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution. For the Lord's sake. So that means it's not about you. Uh, th- this isn't about you earning points or looking super humble. We do this for God and, and for his glory. But, but beyond that, the first thing we need to notice is that Peter is, is speaking broadly. He's, he's casting a wide net, right? When he says every human institution, he means every human institution. So verses 13 and 14 mention the government and our submission to, to civil authority, Verse 18 speaks of business and economic roles, our jobs, and we'll get to that. Chapter 3, which is next week, gets into marriage and family, and then, and then ultimately we're to submit to one another. There, there's a humility and unity into which we live with one another. So whether it's the, the police or the military, business, family, marriage, parenting, education, these are all human institutions set up by God. We are not to be in conflict with these institutions. Even though it's not our, our first and primary allegiance, we are to subject ourselves, to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake. How can we do this? Because, verse 16, we have been given freedom to be in submission. It's very paradoxical, yes? Yes? But, but we are supremely subject to God. Uh, we are servants of God and therefore free from earthly authority. We, we don't owe human authorities anything because of them. 
We subject ourselves to them because we are servants of a higher king who has established his world and sent us into it to be subject to its authorities for his sake. There's a a couple moments in the Gospels where Jesus addresses this. In Matthew 17, Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them or to honor them, Go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Super normal, right? Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So he tells Peter, you're free to give them what they require. You don't belong to them. You are a son of God. And then Mark 12, Jesus famously says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, right? And and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Why did they marvel? Because it's this, it's this counterintuitive idea that, that if we are sons and daughters of God, we don't owe anyone anything because of their intrinsic authority, but because Jesus says so, and he is our master. We give to God everything because it's already his, and then we're free to give whatever else is owed. So in answering how this submission is distinctly Christian, Peter gives four main things that I'll briefly point out. Our our submission is marked by a fear of God in verse 17. And and you'll notice that there's a hierarchy here that he lists. He's honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and and honor the emperor. So so we are to fear God in, in a way that human authorities don't receive. And again, this is not a, a cowering fear, but, but really, it, it is a fear of treating God as though he were not to be, to be trusted um, and treated as an all-powerful and all-loving father. We fear God in our submission, not man. It says that there's an honor for all people. Again, verse 17, honor everyone. And this is appropriate to their role. He's already mentioned emperor and, and governor. So it's not, it's not equal, but it is honor for everyone, right? We wouldn't honor a governor the same way that we honor a murderer. But we ought to honor the murderer. How, how would we do that? Um, fair trial and, and a just fitting punishment. So through truth and justice, we honor the murderer. There's a a special affection for believers. He says to love the brotherhood, love being above honor. And then if we look back to verse 15, Peter says that a Christian submission will be marked by good deeds. Right, And, and again, this is, more than voting and, and not littering, right? Ned Flanders should not be our benchmark. We're looking for ways to, to bless our city, to bless others, to bless the institutions that we belong to. And this does, is, this does two things. It shuts people up and it brings glory to God. Verse 15 says, this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And back in verse 12, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. 
This is all for the Lord's sake, for his glory. Um, just just a, a quick aside on verse 15. Um, so, sometimes we can get pretty tripped up with what is uh, God's will for my life? What is my calling? And, and Peter answers that pretty specifically here. Um, that part of God's general will for your life is that you would do good and in doing so, uh, put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, which, FYI, FYI, is God's way of shutting up the foolish, right? We often want it our way. Peter will also go on to say that you have been called to endure suffering for doing good. And we'll get to that. But, but I just say that as, a, as an encouragement. If you're looking for the Lord's will for your life, it's, it's in here. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So Peter's speaking um, to servants here. And, and the closest modern parallel we have to the, to the servant status that Peter speaks of is, is an employee-employer relationship. Right? Now, some translations use the word slaves. Uh, but because um, what Peter is speaking to here is, is so drastically different than, than the evil institutionalized slavery of the new world that, that we know. Um, slaves isn't a very helpful translation here. It, it's very difficult for us to not um, map African-American slavery onto this context or really any context that, that mentions the word slaves. Um, but that's not what's happening here. And that's not to sidestep anything. That, that doesn't mean that we make light of American slavery. We don't deny that texts like these were used over and over as a justification for its evils. We don't um, defend any form of slavery, and, and the Bible doesn't either. Um, all, all, all of that is, is really outside the scope of this sermon, but if you'd like to talk more, um, I, I would be happy to. But in our context here, there are crooked masters that Peter speaks of, employers who mistreat their employees. But even to these, submission and obedience are required for the Lord's sake. However, there, there are conditions and, and limitations to this submission. Submit does not imply total obedience. Right? There are times when the Israelites and the early church participated in civil disobedience when the demands of, of society overrode the commands of the Lord. So the simple principle to draw from this is to obey except when commanded to sin. We do not jeopardize the glory of God for the sake of right standing socially. As I mentioned earlier, submission uh, isn't our favorite our, our cultural moment would, would have us erase the idea altogether. 
And the idea of, of submission uh, has been distorted and, and abused in, in so many ways that we, we really need to take care and walk in discernment as we consider this. Richard Foster, in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, which if you have not read it, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, he has a chapter on submission as a discipline. And up front, he reminds the reader that the purpose of the discipline is freedom. We aim for the freedom, not the discipline in and of itself, which is very much what Peter's getting at, right? We are free to submit. And what Foster argues is that the freedom that, that comes with submission is the ability to lay down the burden of always needing to get your own way. We are obsessed with demanding that things go the way that we want them. And all it ends up doing is crippling us. But remember, as we've already seen, in submission, we are actually free. If we don't need the things to go the way that we want them, then we're free to love our enemies and and pray for those who persecute us. And in that, there is a a cross-shaped self-denial. But but we draw back from from self-denial, don't we? We think of groveling and self-hatred and the rejection of our individuality. Jesus calls us to self-denial, not, not self-hatred, not the same thing. Self-hatred claims that we have no worth, and even if we did, we should, we should reject it. Self-denial declares that we are of infinite worth, and it, and it shows us how to realize that. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. There is freedom in self-denial. For to this you have been called. Verse 21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Okay, before we get to the weight of this passage that is Jesus and his faithfulness, let's look at what we've been called to. To this you have been called. To what? Back up one sentence. If, if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So here's the deal. When Peter was writing this, Rome was under the rule of Nero. Not a good guy. And, and Christians at that time were, were socially rejected, but they hadn't quite, um, they hadn't quite yet suffered state-sponsored persecution. It would come. So, so what is Peter doing? He's preparing the church to suffer, to suffer well. Even in the daily small things, knowing that suffering well in the small things and doing good would prepare them to die well. So we ask ourselves, am I suffering well? And are we preparing the next generation to die for the Lord's sake? Do they see in us examples of a faith that is willing to submit and even suffer for doing good. Even if suffering is getting passed over for a promotion at work because of godly convictions. 
or your kids not getting to play on the team because your family won't practice or play games on a Sunday morning. Or you lose friends because of your biblical convictions about gender or marriage. Maybe you're a teacher and you have to endure the sorrow of being on an island of Christian principles and morals and standing firm in the gospel. To this you have been called when you do good and suffer for it and endure. Endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. This is a surprising response. Peter is instructing us to to patiently endure while trusting God. We trust in him to be perfectly just. And that's not easy, right? It, It goes against so much in us. But when we trust in the justice of God, then faith proves itself genuine. And that is something that in God's eyes is more precious than gold. Calling back to chapter one. So if you find yourself in a place under the authority of an unjust master, know that your unjust master does not have the final say on your life. Later in this letter, Peter says in chapter four, verse 19, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. There it is again, doing good. We do good and trust God. We have that freedom because we serve the master of masters and everything and everyone is subject to Christ the King. Verse 21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So, so we are called to live a life of, of submission and suffering and enduring because Jesus lived this life. Yes? We, we have been called to imitate Christ. So we, we don't have to walk blindly and just, just take a stab at what to do. Peter reminds us here of the example left to us by Jesus. He didn't sin. He didn't strike back. He patiently endured and entrusted himself to him who judges justly. See, Jesus was aware that God, as perfect judge, would either repay justly or would forgive because the punishment would be taken by Jesus himself on the cross. The understanding that God will ultimately right all wrongs is is so essential to our response to hardship and suffering. God God has put in us this sense of justice, which it it doesn't allow us to simply forget the wrongs suffered. But 
committing the situation to God, knowing that ultimately there will be justice means that we can rest in him and imitate Jesus in praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Here's what Peter's ultimately getting at. The greatest symbol of this this radical servanthood and submission is the cross of Christ. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. But remember that that Christ not only died a, a cross death, but he lived a cross life. Right? The way of the cross, the way of a, a suffering servant was, was crucial to his ministry. It, it was his ministry. Jesus lived a, a cruciform life in, in submission to everyone around him. He was the servant of all and he, and he rejected a culture built on position and power. He shut up the foolish and gave glory to God when he lived out this cruciform life by taking women seriously and by being willing to meet with children. He lived a cruciform life when he took a towel and got on the ground and washed the feet of his disciples. Even Judas... He who, who could have in a, in a heartbeat called down an army of angels to his side chose instead the cross death of Calvary. Jesus' life was the cross-shaped life of submission and service. And Jesus' death was the cross death of victory through suffering. This is the example we follow. Lastly, verse 25. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What did did Peter already tell us living honorably in, in submission and doing good would accomplish? The world would see your good deeds and and glorify God. They would be brought near. And and by Christ's ultimate fulfillment and an example of how we are to live and die, he has brought us near. And we submit our lives to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we walk daily in the reality of being your uh, citizens of your kingdom, and resident aliens here on earth, you graciously remind us through the example of your son, Jesus, what it means to live in humility and submission, in love and honor. I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would increase our faith and trust in you as almighty and perfect judge. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.